the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. In addition to taking care of one another inside the church, what if we developed a lifestyle of taking care of the most needy outside the walls of the church? How would that change the community and our city? Bob Moffat, president and founder of Harvest Foundation in Phoenix, along with Pastor Julian Gibb, talk with pastors and leaders about how sacrificial love by those in the church to those in need outside the church has helped people see and embrace Jesus Christ. It's that demonstration of Jesus' greatest commandment that we'll hear more about today on The Kingdom and Its Stories. Welcome to those of you who've joined us on The Kingdom and Its Stories. I'm Bob Moffat, and I'm uh, our guest today is Miles Fagerly, and um, we're going to be talking to Miles to help us have another example of what it means to be the hands and feet of Jesus, as well as to encourage others to do the same. So, Miles, welcome. We're glad to have you with us this morning. Thank you, Bob. Thanks for asking me to join you. You're more than welcome. Miles, I know that you have um, a couple of elevator <laughs> elevator speeches to describe who you are. Give us give us the first one, and then we'll go to the second. Okay. Um, you know, I was uh, elder at a local church for many, many years, and I was the leader of the missions committee there. And we developed a good outreach program, both locally and globally. And so as a uh, member of that church, even though I worked uh, 35 years as an engineer at Honeywell Commercial Flight Systems, God used me and the other people of the church to help spread the gospel around the world. And also we were um, reaching out to the people of our community, including some of the least uh, well-off who would come in off the street and ask our church for assistance. So that was my first opportunity, uh, you might say, to serve as an engineer, but also as a layperson within my church. Well, as a layperson, was it just you, or did your church help you to start the ministry that you have for pastoral training around the world? Well, you know, one of the pastors from our church who had been a youth pastor, we sent him off to plant a church, and 15 years later, he started an organization called Global Training Network, GTN, GTN for short. And that is what I am currently connected with. I'm a senior staff member there, and Our goal is to train pastors and church leaders in the majority world who have not had access to formal Bible training, such as Bible college or seminary. Yeah. And and so what what do you train them for or with and and for what's what purpose? Well, our target, our ideal target is a person who's a pastor of a church or sometimes multiple churches who is in ministry already but has not had anything in the way of formal Bible training. Right. 
sometimes they've only just they're just modeling or mimicking what they have seen other pastors do or what they learn from their own church but they often don't even understand the basics about how to do an inductive bible study of a passage in order right. to extract its meaning they don't have training on how to prepare a sermon they don't have training on how to shepherd their congregation and okay. they don't, don't have training on how to be leaders or servant leaders and they have many needs within their congregation and community in terms of marriage, in terms of poverty. And uh -huh. so these are all areas that we can come in and give them training that will help them advance in their ministry and help their church and their families grow stronger in the Lord. It, uh, Miles, is this a formal program or informal, and how long does it take? Uh, for for one of the guys that you're training to go through the training? Different members of the staff. There are about 170 staff members now. Uh, different members of the staff have different uh, curriculums or models, but the one that I typically use is about a week of training, four times a year, for one year. So it's okay. 100 hours of total training. And wow, Okay. And then those who prefer or want to go on to the next level, we have another 100 hours of training for a second year. And it's not formally accredited. It's uh, just practical training in biblical ministry. Right. And and when when they complete this training, what kind of pastor do you want to see? What do they look like? What are the characteristics that they might have because they've been through your training? For many of them, it's the first time they've been exposed to how to study the Bible and ask questions about what the passage says to try to get the big idea, to try to understand the storyline of the passage, and then the points that they can make about it. Um, so many of them just decide on Saturday night or Sunday morning what they're going to preach, uh, pick a verse, and then they'll springboard off of that to talk about whatever comes to their mind. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I, I I think I've been to some churches that have pastors like that. <laughs> so, unfortunately. Okay. Well, great. Um, now, how many trainers did you say you have in the field now? Uh, Global Training Network started in 2004 by uh, Paul Madsen, a pastor here in the Phoenix area. And we now have about 170 men and women who are part of the Global Training Network staff uh, training in over 80 countries around the world. Now, are those are they paid staff or are they volunteer? Both, because we all have to raise our support. We ask friends, family, neighbors, churches to help participate in what we are doing and become investors in this ministry. Right. So, so are some of the some of the your 170 completely volunteer? And if so, how many of them would be? Well, I, um, you know, I consider myself a volunteer. I've raised my support. And right. That is, I think, the case for every single member of the staff. I don't think any of them are, um, you know, financing these trips and this training and, you know, living off of their own incomes. There may be some, but I think most of us are either retired professional people, retired pastors, retired church leaders who feel God has called them into a second or third career as a trainer of pastors in these majority world countries. 
Okay, so, <clears throat> so I, I I get sort of a hint that you see it, retirement not as uh, sitting on your back porch with a, a cup of iced tea. You know, I worked for 35 years for the same company, Honeywell, and I retired at age 55, but not to sit on the porch, not to play golf, not to go, you know, hang gliding or whatever my passion was. Instead, I became a staff member at my church, associate pastor for eight years to help further my biblical training and experience. And then I joined up with Global Training Network. For the last six years, I have been traveling to countries like India, Peru, Mexico, Haiti, Uganda, Tanzania, and others to help train pastors and church leaders on how they can become better leaders and shepherds of their flocks. Miles, how has your training been impacted by the last year and a half, two years of COVID? It's made travel much more difficult, but... We started training people by Zoom when we couldn't travel to Uganda. Okay. We started a class of pastors and leaders, uh, 28 of them, uh, graduated after going through a Zoom class. And then Uganda was one of the countries that didn't have um, a long period of shutdown. So pretty soon after that, we resumed training in Uganda. And also Tanzania is a country that hasn't had any shutdowns. So I'll be leaving on October 20th to go spend two weeks at a Bible school in Tanzania training uh, pastors and church leaders. Praise, praise the Lord. How many of those 170 are nationals of their, own, of, their, of their own countries, their own cultures, that are training within their, within their culture? Well, the, the ones who are actually on staff with Global Training Network are almost all—majority of them are retired U.S. pastors— who've had cross-cultural experience and see this as what God wants them to do with the rest of their lives. Now, our objective is to train the local pastors to be able to train others. So those pastors are not on our staff, but they are taking the material, taking what God has uh, helped them learn, and they're training other pastors. Like in Uganda, this Zoom class of 28 students has now the people who graduated from that class have now gone on to start another 10 classes training over 300 additional people with the materials that we provided for them. Praise the Lord. That's real multiplication. Now, tell me about your second elevator speech of what you do. Well, um, I am also a uh, mobilizer within the Phoenix area, and I'm also involved in reaching out to refugees who God has brought into our city. And so there are, in Phoenix, there are refugees from many, many different countries around the world. Just recently, over a thousand from Afghanistan have come to the Phoenix area. A thousand from Afghanistan? Yes, I believe the number I last heard was 1,200 refugees. Are these people that came after the fall? Um, Yes, Okay. Some of them fleeing because they were Christians, some of them fleeing because they had worked for or with Americans. And so they've been dispersed throughout this country, and about 1,200 of them have been relocated here in Phoenix. And And, and what is the the infrastructure to support that many people coming from Afghanistan? 
It's, uh, I haven't become engaged with this group yet. They've just been arriving in the last uh, couple of months. Okay. But I understand that this group is being housed in a hotel, and uh, organizations like the Lutheran Social Services are helping to uh, help them get situated and established here. Um, I have been working with a uh, local African church started by an immigrant pastor, and I haven't gotten engaged with the Afghanis yet, but um, this African church for maybe 12, 15 years has been uh, welcoming refugees who have come here from East Africa, countries of Congo, Rwanda, Uganda, Kenya, and so on. And so I've been working with them for over a decade now. Okay. So what 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 does that mean? You've been working with them. What do you do specifically? It all started when the pastor came into our church uh, at that time at 43rd Avenue and Bell and asked if we could help pay a utility bill. Okay. So I engaged with him and we helped him with that immediate need and we began to talk about the other needs. And it turns out that he was almost every month there were new refugees who had been won the lottery in life, so to speak, and been given a visa to come to America. Right. And they would be settled by a, a, an agency like the Lutheran Social Services in the community, and they'd immediately reach out to other Africans like the members of this church to help them try to figure out how to get around in this new world. Okay. Um, I would, through the church, then I began to meet some of these families arriving can I tell you about one of them? Yes, please. Okay, there was a family. Um, the father's name was Gilbert, and at least that's the Americanized version of his name. Right. And he originally was from Congo, and his family was forced to flee during a civil war, and they, their, their cattle was stolen, their farm... Um, harvests were stolen, and they fled across the border of Congo into Rwanda, where they were placed in a refugee camp with thousands and thousands of other people who had been displaced, right? Yes, yes. So they... I'm, I'm assuming these are ethnic yes, Tutsis who were in the Congo? Yes. And okay. so, you know, they spoke typically a tribal language plus French. Okay. And uh, Rwanda has got a lot of French-speaking people, so this was a place where they would flee. But they weren't allowed to assimilate into Rwanda. They were kept in refugee camps because Rwanda's not a rich country, and they don't have jobs for everybody. Right. So they would apply. People in these uh, refugee camps didn't have work to do. They would apply for opportunities to immigrate to Europe or America or other countries. Now, Now, this family was blessed to be able to get uh, visas to come to the U.S. And so they landed here. A father, he had a uh, 20-year-old daughter who had a 2-year-old child. He had a 19-year-old son and a 16-year-old son. He had two older children that weren't allowed to immigrate. And so his wife had died while they were in the refugee camp. So he's a father arriving here with three children and one grandchild. Oh, and so... You contacted him because the pastor of this African church, African refugee church, contacted you and asked if there was some way you could assist. Right. So we helped get furniture. You know, we asked people in our church, 
do you have any spare couches or beds or mattresses or chairs or tables? So we help them get situated in an apartment. We help them um, learn how to use American currency. We help them learn how to go to a grocery store and buy food. This is an experience they never had. We help right. them figure out how to operate a microwave oven and a dishwasher and help buy uh, dishes and towels and sheets and clothing, all of the things that they didn't have when they arrived. And, you know, their kids were enrolled in, well, the youngest of the child children was enrolled in, in high school. And um, right. the other two got jobs cleaning offices and uh, doing things where their lack of English wasn't a, an right. impossible yeah. barrier. So we tracked with this family. Our missions committee kind of adopted this family. And oh, good. Uh, when I uh, when when we I need to take a, a quick break here, Miles. Okay. But we come back. I want you to tell me um, about Gilbert and his family, and what do you see as some of the consequences of your church reaching out as Jesus' hands and feet to this refugee family. For those of you who are listening to The Kingdom and Its Stories. We're glad to have you here. We're interviewing Miles Fagerly, who um, is a, a professionally an engineer, and um, he retired, and God has used him to work in training uh, pastors all over the world who haven't had the opportunity to go to uh, to a formal training program. And he's also been involved in personally mobilizing his church and the members of his church to be Jesus' hands and feet, in particular to refugees. And we're talking about a family who's the the head of whose name is Gilbert. And and this brother um, uh, had three children and the grandchildren. They won the lottery. They came to the U.S. And um, uh, Miles and his church people have been reaching out. And Miles, tell us, you know, what what do you see the consequences are of your having reached out to Gilbert and his family? Obviously, we were helping them get settled in and adjusted to a life in a new country and helping them overcome the many cultural and economic barriers that they faced. You know, the youngest son was born while they were in the refugee camp before his, his wife died, and This young man had never really had an opportunity to go outside of the confines of this refugee camp. So now he's now he's here in America and he's placed into a high school and there's special programs in some of the high schools to help them learn English and help get them get acculturated. And he quickly took advantage of the educational opportunities. I was so proud to see him getting Mm. you know good grades and serving working hard in the school and ambitions to go to college and get uh, a good degree and get a good job and just becoming, you know, uh, just a regular member of American society. But because our church and the African Refugee Church had reached out to them, they were already professing Christians, but their walk with the Lord improved their understanding of his hand in their lives and how he had— Given Jesus had given his life for them and how he uh, wanted to walk with them and lead them through life as they served him. Those 
understanding of their Christian walk and their Christian life was also improved because of their participation with our church and their participation with the African Refugee Church that was ministering to them. Okay, so they're regular regular apart members and participants in the African Refugee Church today? They, they are in a another another local African Refugee Church, yes. They continue okay. now to worship and fellowship in that. Right, right. Have have you seen any indication that this family has um learned to reach out to others? I can't say that I personally have, but I know that this is the common trend of all of the uh, African churches. Um, I know that they live in an apartment complex with many other African refugees, and it's just the normal outcome for new refugees who are arriving to be embraced by those who are already there, who understand the challenges that they face and help them. Praise the Lord. I, I haven't. I can't say that I've seen that personally, but I know that that is. But you know that it takes place. The the most common situation, yes. Right. Yeah. What about some? Do you have any stories that uh, could illustrate what God has allowed you personally to do, um, other than with uh, the story of Gilbert and his family? With uh, with the African refugees or with the yes. pastors trained in Africa? The, with the refugees. Okay. Um, I have, I and my wife have personally spent um, time going through our church members and asking for clothing, asking for furniture, asking for things that these people really no longer need. And, you know, they could perhaps put them on a garage sale, but... We gather them up, and we go to the African church, and we kind of have a a mini garage sale, except that the people there can take the clothing or the household items or the furniture items that they don't have, that they can make use of. And so we have gone to this African church and just blessed them with what you might say is the leftovers of our members of our church and members of our society. Yeah, what, what, what's a leftover for us is is uh, somebody else's treasure. Absolutely right. And, and so I, I I love that idea that that what we see, you know, as a leftover or as something that we don't need is um, somebody else's treasure. I remember moving recently and um, we told the young man that bought our house um, that we would clean everything out. He said, no, no, please don't. He said, leave it there for me to go through because what for you is something that you would need to clean out and get rid of could be my treasure. <laughs> Absolutely right. And that just really impacted me deeply. Miles, um, if you had just a minute or so to to talk to those who are listening today and wanted to encourage them to, to be Jesus' hands and feet, not as a special event, but as a lifestyle, what would you say? You know, in your own neighborhood, there are people who are hurting. There are people who are going through traumatic situations in life. There are people who need to know about Jesus. So I would say, look for the people in your neighborhood, especially look for those who might have a different ethnic background. Mm. Maybe there's a person with an accent. You can Ask them, 
Where are you originally from? What language is it that you speak besides English? And then encourage them and say, welcome to America, and find out how you can help them and how you can share the gospel with them. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, I know down our street, we just moved into a new neighborhood. We have people um, from Korea and several other different countries and have reached out to them to develop a relationship with them. Awesome. Uh, because I think that that's part of who God has called us to be. Yes. He's called us to be neighbors who don't, who, who don't just, um, we don't just get, we don't just see that they're our neighbor and say hello to them. We try to be creative in terms of how we reach out to be the hands and feet of Jesus Absolutely. for the express purpose that they would see Jesus in us and that they would be drawn to him. And so I want to encourage those of you who are listening to think about today and this week and ask the Lord to give you an awareness of the people who live right with right on your block or in your neighborhood who need to be touched by our Savior's love. We've been touched by that. And we need to touch others. Thank you, Miles, so much for being with us today. May God bless you uh, in your work. And thank you for inspiring us with your testimony today. Jesus defines discipleship as come and follow me. Next Monday at 5.30 p.m. on Faith Talk 1360, we'll hear another testimonial from a leader demonstrating how they and the people of the church are sacrificially loving the needy and beginning to see real change in their communities. If you have a personal example of how you are being the hands and feet of Jesus with your neighbors, we'd love to hear from you. Enter your story at harvestfoundation.org. That's harvestfoundation.org on the Contact Us tab. You can also subscribe to the podcast on The Kingdom and Its Stories on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.